0: Welcome to Coffee with Kupke, a production of St. Paul Inside the Walls. Here on Coffee with Kupke, we grab a cup of coffee, at least we're claiming this is coffee. We sit with Monsignor Kupke, Raymond Kupke, the pastor of St. Anthony's in Hawthorne, professor at Immaculate Conception Seminary, diocesan archivist. We sit with Monsignor Kupke to delve into the history of Catholicism in the Diocese of Patterson, my name is Father Paul Manning. I am the vicar for evangelization for the Diocese of Patterson, and here I am with Monsignor Kupke. So grab your cup of coffee, and let's jump right in. I'm going to take a sip. One of the things that you can't see before uh, you see the episode is that we click one of those movie things. What do we call that, Joe? It's called a clapboard. A clapboard. So we feel very, very professional. Yes. Yes. (laughs) When we uh, uh, conversed last, we were talking about the, the second giant in Patterson Catholic history, Dean William McNulty, and we left him in his early 30s here in Madison, but uh, he's only going to be in Madison for what? Four years. Four years, yeah. and then he gets assigned... To Patterson. To the city of Patterson, uh, St. John's.
1: Yes, by this point, you know, he's like, I forget what number he is, like the 12th pastor of St. John's.
0: Well, I wanted to ask you about that. You said there was a huge turnover, and one of his predecessors was called Mad Phil. Mad Phil O'Reilly, yeah. <laughs> is that, an, is that a, a piece for Weird Diocese of Patterson? It, it,
1: it may be, yeah. yeah. Uh, Why was he there, mad? It just he was very eccentric and, and used, I mean, it's it's almost impossible to imagine this today, mm-hmm. but he would like. Go out and hunt in the environs of Patterson and shoot game for his dinner table. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, I don't know where you would go, you know, to, to, to rural Totowa or something, but. Well, it's funny because. He would we, be seen walking down the street with his gun. You know. uh,
0: this past year, we celebrated the funeral of Monsignor George Dudak from yes. a, a Long Valley, Our right. Lady of the Mountain, Long Valley,
1: who was a hunter. Maybe yes. just mention that, right? Right. Well, George grew up in a rural part of the diocese in Hibernia. Oh, not Hibernia. Not Hibernia. Hibernia. So uh, he was kind of rural in his background and, and then had gone to Peru as a missionary. So uh, George liked to do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, he
0: would. I heard two stories at his funeral one that uh, uh, um, he served uh, roadkill. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he would pick up the, the, the police would bring freshly killed deer from the road. And uh, George uh, had a great
1: relationship with the Washington
0: Township Police <laughs> Department. And uh, the, the other story was that um, there was a, a, a bird chirping in the live Christmas tree and George and George
1: went out and shot it.
0: Yeah. 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 In the middle of mass. Yes. Because it was disrupting the homily. Right. Are these true stories?
1: Oh George was interesting, okay, yeah. so so we had Matt Phil in the in the nineteenth century, and George was the first resident pastor of of the mountain and the story is that he asked Casey specifically f- to be assigned there because it was the most rural thing yeah, we had yeah. at that and it still
0: it still is in, yeah. in large measure so uh um father Mcnulty. Succeeds. Oh, no,
1: you just hit on a major a little detail there you almost called a monsignor oh, yeah. That's
0: for a, later on in the episode right. but why don't, why don't you explain that now? The, the monsignor
1: Mcnulty was so long pastor and was so prominent in the state that by all rights, he should have been made a monsignor It, it was just beginning to be common. Toward the end of his time, you know, uh, but he had so irritated the bishop that Bishop Wigger would not even consider it. Yes. And the next bishop, Bishop O'Connor, for McNulty's golden jubilee as a priest 50 years offered him to be made Monsignor. At this point in the story, some of his altar boys are monsignors. Oh, boy. Wow. Yeah, you know, at this point, the vicar general of the Newark diocese and the president of Seton Hall College were both monsignors, and both of them had served mass for McNulty at St. John's. Okay. But McNulty, at this point, just basically said to O'Connor, it's, it's too late with too little. Okay. You know, you, you yeah. can keep it. Uh-huh. But O'Connor, for the sake of history— felt so unnerved by this whole thing that he wrote in on the diocesan register on the page for McNulty that the Monsignorate was offered to McNulty but that he refused it. Wow. Wow. At that point, he had been the whole dean thing. I have seen publications that refer to him. He's he's so commonly known as Dean McNulty that some people think it's his Christian name. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. don't even know that he's really. It's a weird. title.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so we are. I, I am going to ask you to explain what that title means in, uh, when we get to that point. But um, at thirty-four, he's a. a uh, you know, Ryan Patterson, and um, you mention in the book that he immediately uh, decides that Saint John's needs a church that is on the scale
1: of a cathedral. Patterson was growing rapidly. The Catholic population of Patterson was growing rapidly. The original St. John's was a small wooden structure way in downtown Patterson uh, uh, on the site of a very popular Peruvian Peruvian restaurant. (laughs) But that only lasted like, 14 years, and they outgrew it that quickly. And so they purchased the property on Oliver Street, a couple of blocks away from the cathedral, and built a new brownstone, a substantial church. But by the time McNulty gets there in 1860, they've already outgrown this. And so he he did not like it, it's still standing, actually, the, the building. The old church, yeah. yeah. But uh, he did not like it because it was on side street. Oh. So he wanted so something on Grand he wanted, and Main. <laughs> he wanted the property on the corner of Main and Grand because, in his words, this is the only place where the Catholic Church should be.
0: On Main and Grand. And they
1: were not willing to give him this property because, you know, a little anti-Catholic prejudice. So he worked through a, a proxy to get the property and and ultimately you know got his his lots there on the corner of main and grand and then just decided to build this outsized church uh
0: and, and, and it obviously is our cathedral to this day. And uh, I, I'm thinking that would be a great title for a chapter or a book on the corner. On the of, corner of Main and Grand. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. And, absolutely. And, and, and in many ways, it, maybe that's the chapter for uh, 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 Monsignor Silva's uh, tenure at the, at the cathedral <laughs> on the corner of Main and Grand. Yeah,
1: yeah he, um, he got a, a prominent uh, American church architect to um, uh, Patrick Keely okay. to design it. Keely, uh, Keely, yeah, Keely is also the designer of the cathedral in Chicago, the cathedral in Boston. Oh, uh, he he did <laughs> several hundred, you know, Catholic church buildings in the United States in this period. Interesting, and they, you can see some similarity, you know. So he designed it, but McNulty got contributive labor from the congregation. Like men would come home from work. And go spend an hour or two in the cathedral yard, dressing the stone. the The brown stone is from Little Falls. Yes, know. I was
0: going to ask you about the materials because in your book yeah. you mentioned the brown
1: stone is from Little Falls. Right. This and we have we have uh, the contract for the stone. Uh, oh wow! In the archives, it's yeah. it's a wonderful document. It details how many of each different stone they wanted, and what the dimensions were, and what they paid for it. Uh, do you remember where the slate roof
0: was from? You mentioned. No, I don't. I think was it was it uh, imported? It might have been. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. the slate roof was imported.
1: But um, when when we yeah. renovated it, uh, you know, you, apparently, the one wall is slightly off kilter. Mm. Uh, you know where the sacristy is. It doesn't match exactly, and so you can kind of tell this was this was done by volunteer labor to a certain extent.
0: Yeah, and uh, my recollection is that uh, uh, the footings it, it was I think resting on the ground or something. Yeah, yeah. And so yes. f- the footings had to be shored up in the last uh, restoration. And, no,
1: actually, in the previous one in 1987, uh, when w- we renovated the cathedral, that time they went to, basically. You know, whenever you walked in the cathedral, you could hear the floorboards creaking, and we just thought that they were old. You well, know, floorboards, yeah. you know. But then, when they got down there, took the floor up and looked at them, uh, they were just laying on logs stretched across the expanse of the cathedral, and the floor was built on that. There was no foundation under the under the walls, yes, but not under the floor. Amazing. So this set back the the uh, renovation, the renovation because we had a date, you know, set in stone—the fiftieth anniversary of the diocese. And this set things back. So we actually, at one point, had a little tractor inside the building, digging out, excavating to, to sink pilings. Yeah. yeah, wow. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, so uh, McNulty is able to raise funds rather quickly and uh, ha- they has— They love to build. And the, the cornerstone is
1: laid— 1870. They actually open. The cathedral.
0: Oh, but when did they? Uh, there was a blessing of the of the 1865.
1: I, I and think who that was that? Uh, this would have been Bishop uh, Bailey? Bailey. Yeah,
0: and so you had an interesting detail about Bailey coming to bless the ground and lay the cornerstone, I guess. And um, one little detail that I felt I should mention is uh, that there was a band from Brooklyn there. I thought Bishop Sweeney would be happy to know that there yes. was a a band playing. At the at the laying of the cornerstone from Brooklyn, yeah. yeah. How did that happen? And dude?
1: and well, you you know, you used your Catholic uh, connections, connections, same as you do today. You know? <laughs> <laughs> who, who do we know that has a band? Well, <laughs> you know, John Sweeney over in Brooklyn has one, and so <laughs> we, we bring him over. Perfect. But uh, they they talk about like an enormous crowd, like something like you know, I. I I have to think they exaggerated, but sometimes I'm not so sure. Like twenty thousand people Amazing. present for the
0: for the blessing. with no sound system. Yeah, you know? yeah. You wonder how they did that.
1: Yeah, but I I thought for much of it that the crowds were exaggerated along the way until I saw pictures of the dean's funeral. Mm-hmm. in 1922 and the crowd is enormous right down Main Street of yeah. Patterson basically when he died the city shut down for the day Yes, like there are people five and six deep all the way down Main Street as the procession is going yeah, to Holy Sepulchre. so you look at it and you, you kind of reevaluate yeah. maybe they actually did get those kind of crowds
0: yeah the, and that picture is in Living Stones which we'll try to put up so um, there, was a, there was a donation to the cathedral by a man named Hinchcliffe.
1: And so. It was recently in the papers because he also donated a uh, stadium to the city of Patterson, which has recently been renovated as part of the Great Falls Historic District because the stadium has some historical connection because apparently it is like the last stadium left in the United States or one of the last where the old Negro league baseball teams played.
0: So they just, our Bishop actually was just present at that that event. But this, this would have been an earlier Hinchcliffe who donated the altar. The
1: the Hinchcliffe family has been prominent in Catholic Patterson right through.
0: And so, so this uh, first, Mention of the Hinchcliffe family is connected the to the old, altar. The
1: old altar, right? The, the you know, we would have to show a picture of it. But the altar in St. John's was a a grandiose uh, wooden background. It, it was big enough that there was a passageway through it mm. to get from one side of the old sanctuary to the other. Uh, you know, it was it was five steps instead of the typical three. Yeah. And uh, we have a few pieces of it left in the in the chapel in the cathedral today, in the Lady Chapel. The tabernacle is like one of the pinnacles of the old. Yes, I
0: remember it because I I believe uh, my class was the last class Mm. ordained
1: in the old before that before the eighty seven renovation. Yeah, Yeah. before that high altar. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Monsignor Silva has taken the centerpiece. Of the altar itself, the and re- restored it and has it on display in the Redimer Center there outside oh. in that little window. Box. Oh yes, yeah,
0: that that's, that would be worth looking at again. So the the cathedral was consecrated on the feast of Saint Peter and, Peter Paul. and Paul, yes, yeah. in eighteen
1: ninety, which was a a very unusual ceremony because. At that time, there was a distinction liturgically between blessing a church and consecrating a church. And a church could only be consecrated if it was free of debt. So... That's interesting. Hardly any of the churches in the diocese that go back were ever consecrated. The cathedral is one of the exceptions. And, you know, McNulty... This was a testimony to his ability to fundraise. He opened it in 1870, and over the next 20 years, raised funds, first of all, to finish it off. When it opened in 1870, all the windows were clear glass. Uh, The spire of the tower was not up yet. The Lady Chapel was not in existence. So over the next 20 years... He raised enough money to finish off all of those parts of the cathedral, and also pay off the debt itself. The figure that we have, I think, is like two hundred ninety-two thousand dollars for the whole construction. Wow. Which would be a drop in the bucket today. You know, yeah. that's almost yeah. what you would pay for a consultant or a something. So yeah. yeah, but <laughs> yeah. you know, at that time we were building small wood frame churches for less than a thousand dollars. Oh wow! Two hundred thousand dollars—an astronomical—but yeah, he he raised it, and um, but again, there's um, you know there's that little tension between him and Bishop Wigger. He he asked the Bishop of Philadelphia to come up and. Consecrate. Oh boy, that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> it's never going to be a Monsignor. <laughs> no, no, but um, you see a remnant of that in the cathedral today. There, there are two niches on the back on the sanctuary wall of the cathedral um, for statues. And when we renovated it in 87, we decided that Peter and Paul should go up there. A a nice choice. To make the historic connection between, and also the fact, you know, the cathedral and the connection to Rome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So that's part of the reason that they're up there.
0: Now, was St. John's always named after St. John the Baptist from its very beginning?
1: We presume so. Um, in the earliest days, it was just St. John's. At some point, I, I think in McNulty's time, they began to refer to it as St. John the Baptist. I have always thought that it was named after the second bishop of New York, who was the one who sent the first priest to Patterson okay. to found the parish. But, uh, you know, there's no no document attesting to that. But. Okay.
0: Now, um, one little detail that you mention, or uh, McNulty made a decision about the placement of the pulpit. Could you say something about that? Right.
1: When uh, when it was opened, people were astounded at how big it was. You know, uh, it's not very often in a diocese like ours that a church built in 1870. Mm-hmm. Is still the largest church in the diocese. hundred and fifty years later, mm. you know, so it, it gives you something of an idea of the the scale of McNulty's vision. But with no sound system, uh, Bishop Wigger hated to go to St. John's because he couldn't be heard. You know, he, trying to preach, he called it a barn. Oh, wow! That you know, you just yeah. couldn't get enough volume to preach in this thing because of the size of it. But so right from the beginning, there was criticism of McNulty. Uh, You know, there there was a lot more press at the time. There were multiple papers, and they would all, you know, grab onto anything they could find to promote, you know, circulation. Mm. So right from the get-go, there was criticism of McNulty that he had uh, pretensions to being a bishop himself, Because of the church he built. Yes, and that St. John's would be a cathedral. So McNulty, it it was strong enough that McNulty felt compelled to deny these rumors. Yes. I don't think he necessarily had pretensions for himself, but I don't doubt that he always had pretensions for the building. Yeah, that he Um,
0: prophetically knew that Patterson would be a diocese. So in
1: in installing a pulpit, and and by the way, the pulpit I think is also a Hinchcliffe donation. Okay. Um, Thank you, Hinchcliffs. He put it on what we used to call the epistle side of the sanctuary. Which would have
0: been atypical.
1: Atypical. So if you're looking at at the sanctuary, um, it would be at the right side. Most of the churches, not all, but most of them had it on the other side. Yeah, of the now that you think about it, yeah. um, our assignment in Saint Peter's and Precipiti is one of the notable exceptions. Yeah, that's right. But <laughs> because Monsignor Flanagan
0: thought it might be a cathedral, something. No, <laughs> no we,
1: we won't go there. Um, but he was criticized for that. That you know, and they said that the reason he put it there was because he was leaving room for an Episcopal throne on the other side. When eventually it would become a cathedral,
0: right? So, the, so the the bishops see the bishop's yeah. chair is normally on the on, on the left. that side, yeah. Right. The Catholic. So
1: uh, after McNulty died, his successor moved the pulpit to the other side, and then, like ten years later, had to move it back again. When in fact. St. John's did become a cathedral and they needed Oh, to, yeah.
0: yeah. And now of course we have that that really magnificent oh, pulpit. pulpit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, um we're going to leave uh Father McNulty having completed the cathedral uh and ready to move into the next You have one last comment.
1: You can't leave McNulty this quickly. Well, we're we're up
0: out of time. Oh, all right. <laughs> so, we're going to go We're going to carry on in the next episode with uh, Father McNulty. Let's leave it there. I want all of you who are listening or watching to make sure that you keep an eye out or an ear out for the next episode of Coffee with Kupke. In order to stay on top of new releases, make sure you follow or subscribe wherever you're listening And if you are on YouTube, please do drop a like and hit the bell for notifications. While you're at it, make sure to check out the other shows produced by the Diocese. Those shows are Beyond the Beacon, hosted by Bishop Kevin Sweeney and Jay Agnish, our Director of Communications, and The Paul Street Journal, hosted by Brian Hansberger and Freddie Garcia. I want to give a special thanks to Joe Genexi, our sound and visual engineer, Caitlin Ferrari, who's involved in pre- and post-production, and Freddie Garcia, who's helping out with this podcast in addition to doing his own. With all that said, I just want to thank you for joining us in uh, Coffee with Kupke. Keep making Catholic history in the Diocese of Patterson.